Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. Also, Axon has a special offer for all the Moving Iron Podcast listeners. If you go to the website, axontire.com, and you use the word sprayer, um, you get a 5% discount discount on Alliance 354 AgriFlex tire. So check that out. It's only for Moving Iron Podcast listeners, so get that 5% off those uh, tires if you're looking for a set of sprayer tires. Also, um, if you talk to your rep, just say you heard it on Moving Iron and uh, the Moving Iron Podcast, and they'll get that 5% discount as well. Also, Tractor Zoom Delivering Insights. Make sure uh, if you go to that website, uh, tractorzoom.com, go to Iron Comps, and if you like what you see there and like to see how to track what's going on in the auction marketplace, uh, make sure you uh, use Moving Iron at checkout to get yourself another discount. So, Chip, I don't know about you, but I like discounts, buddy, and it sounds like I'm passing out a few. Yeah, there's some uh, end users need some discounts on corn and beans right now. Yes, yes, they do. I don't have five percent discount on corn, but it's uh, <laughs> exactly. But but they've got. Now I'll tell you what. So typically, this is this is when you start putting in the uh, start looking at kind of putting in that low for the year, and you start kind of looking at where you're going to be at. You know, your planning progress reports. Usually, you're driving the uh, the the bears in. To, oh, it's going to be best crop ever, and just like harvest this year, planting season is uh, is driving prices up. So what's your reaction to everything that's going on right now? <clears throat> well, it's really a culmination of about a half a dozen things going back about 18 months, really. And it just all uh, swung to kind of create the perfect storm, you know. And it, <clears throat> in my mind, it really goes back to, uh, you know, two years ago, planting two years ago. And uh, the prevent plant uh, numbers just being totally off the wall, right? And I think that affected the stocks numbers. And, um, you know, it took them 18 months on the stocks reports to kind of reflect that. And then last year, we kind of, towards the tail end of, of uh, the growing season, <clears throat> parts of the upper Midwest, you know, we had the, the windstorm across Iowa. Uh, and, and then really across parts of Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, it really didn't rain uh, very much at all from, you know, mid-June on. And we didn't fill the crop out very well. And in fact, took a lot of top end off the corn crop. And, you know, by the time it was all said and done, putting the bins, that crop ended up being, you know, I think 
less than uh, what was anticipated. And then obviously the Chinese demand situation <clears throat> and, and what recently is driving this thing is Brazil, right? They right. raise a big, a big crop of corn, a big crop of second corn, uh, you know, hundred plus million metric tons typically. And they export a lot of that second crop corn and China has a big appetite and the world has a big appetite and about half of their growing area literally has not had any rain since they planted. And it's a catastrophic situation. I mean, it's like a one in 100, one in 200 year type of a deal for them. And there's no rain in the two week forecast. And, you know, you get three, four weeks down the road and it's going to kind of be, doesn't matter anymore, right? If they get rain or not. Right. Now, it's not the entire growing area. There are areas that uh, have got some decent rain and and look really good and are going to have good crops. But you know, roughly half of that area could be a disaster zone and, and essentially a crop failure. And so the market's been adjusting to that over the last three or four weeks. And all that does is just raise the bar that much higher that we have to have a perfect growing season and massive crops. And corn kind of has taken over as a leader, right? Brazil did have a what appears to be a, a record bean crop down there, and that's helping supply the appetite of china right now and but the leader to the upside is is certainly corn right now and that's going to continue to to happen and then on top of that you know out your way um nebraska the dakotas iowa very very dry right now now that's a double-edged sword right because a lot of crop has gone on the ground early and so that's the makings for a big big crop but it has to start raining at some point and so now the market's sensitive to particularly the Western Corn Belt. Uh, over this way, uh, Illinois is right now the sweet spot. I mean, it's couldn't hardly be any better in Illinois. Indiana, Ohio, a little bit on the, on the wet side. And then, you know, Western Corn Belt, Western Mississippi, a lot planted, but need rain quickly to kind of get that crop kick-started. So the market now... With the shortfall, what looks like in Brazil is just that much more hypersensitive to the weather here. And we haven't even got to the, you know, the, the June, July time frame where we're going to be hanging on every weather model run. It's just going to be uh, really gut-wrenching. I mean, the volatility is going to be off the charts and, and unprecedented. And it's not just going to be straight up as great when it's straight up like this. You know, corn <clears throat> puts on 60 cents in the first four days of the month of May. I mean, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be 60 up, 60 down, mm-hmm. 80 up, a dollar down type right. of, of action here, I'm afraid, before it's uh, said and done this summer. Yep. No, I think, I think you're right. Um, we had this WASDA report coming up. I think it's Wednesday next week when it comes out. You're going to get ending stocks there that are going to talk about um, – kind of what, what, you know, a bigger kind of a, another picture as to what we see happening around the world as far as stocks go. What do you think, if anything, that uh, traders have, have they built in already kind of what they think is going to happen in that report now? Or is it just kind of, well, we, we don't really care. We already know kind of what's happening. <clears throat> well, that's a good question. You could argue that <clears throat> with the rally, we've seen a lot of it's built in. You're also probably the most important part of that is going to get the first new crop supply and demand estimates from the USDA. <clears throat> and one thing I'm 
a little bit worried about is that um, they won't start with a demand number that's as big as maybe what the market thinks for the new crop. They typically don't, and and you know, there's some economists there that that uh, you know are part of putting this, you know, these WASDI reports together. And higher prices, you know, mean lower demand. Typically, it's economic facts, and so they may, you know, cut back their their demand estimates a little bit because prices have rallied so much. <clears throat> and and it's just a starting point anyway. They're not going to, I don't think, set the bar, you know, massively high. They've got twelve plus months to kind of figure out what the demand is going to be for a new crop. And so, yeah, we I think we're set up for kind of a buy the rumor, sell the fact type deal where. Um, you know, we've had such a huge rally in here and it may not matter. It may be more about the weather. Uh, you know, is Brazil getting any rain? Is their two week forecast still dry? And is the Western corn belt getting any rain? <clears throat> because, um, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to mother, mother nature. You can put all the projections you want out there for crop size and demand. But, uh, if it doesn't start raining in the Western corn belt quickly, you know, you're, you're going to have some issues and not have optimum yields there. So it, it may be an afterthought by that point in time as next Wednesday. And, um, but I think it opens the door up to the official, you know, quote unquote volatility season, because then you're getting close enough to June. You have a two week forecast that every stinking weather model, you know, there's rain, there's no rain. Yeah. Where's it going to rain? It, all that psychological garbage that goes with that, right? It's yep. just going to be extreme. What number do you think on the WASD when they start talking about stocks and those kind of things, wh where do you think that's going to play in? What number is going to blow the blow it up for that? Well, I think the market assumes that mm -hmm. old crop stocks are going to get cut a little bit. You can argue that. The demand, I mean, Export sales report yesterday, you know, we still sold some. It wasn't a huge amount, but, right. you know, any bushel at this point is is going towards, you know, increasing exports. And so I think the market's coming in assuming we're going to cut corn and bean carry out a little bit on the old crop. Not massively, but a little bit. And uh, and then as you flow through, that it's not rocket science um, that what they do on this first report for new crop. They just use the March acreage. They use trend line yields. And then, you know, probably most importantly is what their demand assumptions are. And when you use those acreage numbers, even at trend line yield, you know, <laughs> it doesn't take much demand and, you know, we don't have much of a cushion. So I, I think all that's old news, though, really. I mean, I think the market understands that. We wouldn't be as high a level as we are. But that's why I think it, it a lot comes down to what they're going to put for the demand estimate, right, and, and where their starting point is. Uh, on their assumptions on on demand and and uh, you know it's going to be hard to get a carry out in beans on new crop much over 250 million which is still pretty tight and that's with a big crop trend line yields and beans i think is touch over 50 uh and on new crop corn you know billion three billion four it, it, again not much of a cushion when um, you know, you factor in 177 bushel, you know, type of a, of a yield. And that's a big, you know, that's trend line, but <laughs> we've only done that once, I think. And so that's a big high bar. So if you start working backwards from that yield, 
you know, all of a sudden you evaporate a lot of a uh, lot of carryout out of there. So again, I, I think all that's old news to a certain extent because the market knows that, and you know, trying to factor in what's the crop size in Brazil and you know what's the weather going to do here, and 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 the, you know, it's a high bar that we gotta we gotta raise a big crop to kind of build that cushion up again. Yep. Okay, on the flip side of that, when you start looking at corn and wheat and how they correlate with each other, um, right now wheat and corn are, are tracking right along side by side each other within a, a few cents of each other. You know, France came out with a, a, a new update here this morning about how they're still, uh, they now rate 79% of their soft wheat crop uh, good to excellent as of May 3rd, which is down, I think, a point or two from the last time it did that. So that cold snap they had is... Uh, really really starting to kind of be evident there. The cold snap that we had in February is going to be played out here in the next couple of weeks as custom combiners start making their way north out of Texas. Um, I guess as you look at the wheat crop, when and what is going to trigger the market to say we do have a problem now and we need to start looking at how we're pricing this stuff or we don't have a problem and we're going to backtrack them as fast as we went up. So I guess... When you look at wheat, what's your thoughts there, and, and where are some chinks in the armor that we might need to pay attention to? Yeah, I, I think um, at this stage, <clears throat> it's going to take the combines rolling in Kansas. You know, it's gotcha. on the corn side of the equation, uh, you know, a lot of acres, but the market focuses on Illinois and Iowa, right? And in wheat, it's Kansas. And, and so once the combines start rolling in Kansas, and you start hearing some yield reports, and <clears throat> I think there's a wheat tour coming up here yeah. pretty quickly. I don't know if it's next week or the week after. That'll be closely watched uh, to kind of see, you know, field reports of whether, uh, you know, there is any damage from that. Last winter. And uh, uh, so I think, I think it's going to be actual harvest results at this point to kind of see, you know, damage was and you know again now it's tied at the hip to, to corn as well you're going to put uh you know a lot of feed wheat back in the equation you know because of the high price of corn and uh so corn and wheat as you said are, are tied at the hip right now and and uh you know you're going to kind of increase the demand a little bit from the feed side on on wheat just because of high price corn and trying to substitute you know a, a cheaper feed grain so it's going to be you know it's it's an interesting uh deal i think wheat to some extent is still going to be a little bit of a follower but uh it it can't drop too much uh, with corn where it's at right okay so now let's jump over and let's talk about hogs for a minute so um article came out this morning i was reading about chinese meat imports uh they're still running way ahead of schedule as far as year over year goes um but the next article down talks about um, a big jump in hog sales for Chinese producers, and they're miraculously 323% um, up in April compared to a year ago. So, I mean, I guess if you sell three hogs before and you didn't sell any the year before, I guess that would be 300%. But, <laughs> but they have, uh, you know, there's, there's two non-correlating stories there that are matched each other. So I guess as you look at the hog market, which has had a, a pretty good run, over these last couple of months, um, what what do you what are you thinking there moving into the summer months here? 
Well, <clears throat> you know, it's 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 friendly, right? right. And it's uh, I think we've talked before, right, about <clears throat> the information or lack of information out of China or reliable information, and uh, you know what's that old saying? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Right, yeah. uh, something like that, yeah, something and like none that, of it's yeah. none of it's true. Yeah, um, but you know, you, you just got to watch what they do, and they're and they haven't stopped buying U.S. pork yet. Um, a couple weeks ago, they weren't there. It got the hog market shook up a little bit. Put a about a ten dollar break in hogs. It was the first real correction we'd seen, and you know, rip, wham right into new highs. We go ripping into new highs. <clears throat> Yesterday, they were there for fifteen thousand tons. Uh, a big number without that, I think it was like 38,000. So demands there. Um, I don't think we figured out our health problems here with PERS. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, a year ago, the liquidation that you saw in the livestock sector, particularly the hog sector, because of the uh, packing plant shutdowns, you know, in the middle of COVID, you had a lot of sow liquidation, uh, even a lot of, you know, market uh hog liquidation and you combine that with our own health issues here and you know it's explosive and <clears throat> i don't think you can say there's any end in sight uh i think the all previous all-time highs were up in the 130s mid 130s don't quote me 133 something like that and you know we haven't even hit the peak demand season yet a lot of states kind of reopening people uh kind of you know itching to get out and do something and eat at a restaurant. And, and, uh, so that demand peak likely is still going to be there. And so I think for a few more weeks here, a couple months, 60 days, something like that, you could still see hogs, you know, maybe eventually challenge or push into new all time highs. So all that being said, it's a treacherous, uh, timeframe, right? Because you have deferred hogs at levels that we haven't seen. But you also have, you know, new crop corn at six thirty-five right now too. So, right. uh, four hundred plus dollar meal, and so it's a it's a margin deal, but it's going to get a lot more challenging out ahead of us, and uh, it's you know <laughs> it's not going to be a an easy ride out there for hog producers. But there's good profitability right now, and. Uh, you know, I think we really have to keep an eye on these deferreds because as you get into late June, July, you have to be aware that, you know, that's typically your price peak. And, you know, if China does get their situation figured out and, and get things stabilized there and they back away, uh, you know, you know, the cure for high prices is high prices. And, right. uh, that you know, that's the old saying and it's true. And uh, you just have to be on the alert here, not only in the livestock, you know, the hogs, but, you know, these grants as well i mean eventually this thing will end so we have to keep keep our eye on the target here and uh make hay while the sun's shining right exactly that's exactly right all right last thing and then we'll wrap it up here um speaking of margins um right now if you look at the cattle marketplace cattle prices uh live cattle prices have bounced all over the place i mean they were up in the, in the 120 125 127 range now they're back down in the in the teens there you know as you look at that but also as you look at box beef prices and and what they've done here of late they've they've had a they just continue to climb so i guess talk about what you see there i mean is this a direct correlation to the price of corn and what that's looking like or i mean where where's that price differentiation coming in 
Yeah, it's, <clears throat> that is the, uh, you know, if, if there is one area of ag that's, uh, you know, not doing very well right now, it's the cattle side, right? And you yeah. talk about margins, man, the Packers have uh, massive margins. And we just can't seem to get any traction and get this cash market turned around. In fact, the Packers seem to be holding their bids up, you know, kind of like they did during COVID. They could buy cattle cheaper if they wanted, but they're making so much money. They're, they're kind of holding their bids up. Um, I, I do think it's going to change. And we, and the action yesterday in cattle, you know, maybe is hinting that we've gone uh, low enough for the time being. Some of this is the, is the margins, the, the feeder fat spreads with corn prices screaming higher. It's really pushed feeders down. Deferred live cattle uh, have kind of held better than the nearby. So some of this is a is a readjustment of the feeder fat spread with higher corn prices. I think you're maybe towards the end of that. Uh, I, I also think starting to pick up that, you know, feedlots are obviously trying to find alternative sources of, um, you know, feed to replace this high-priced corn. And it's, and you're starting to see that. And when that happens, you know, corn's the most efficient. You put the most gain on the quickest. When you start moving away from that, it starts affecting weights, performance. Uh, we're not going to feed cattle as heavy as we did before because of six and a half, seven dollars corn in the plains. And, and so the weights are going to start dropping and demand still is pretty good. And so I think we're, we're going to fix this situation pretty quickly. Um, and then if corn stays at these levels, historically, uh, every time in the past, we've been at these, you know, kind of historic highs in corn. Um, it eventually starts dragging cattle and even feeders along for the ride. And so that's probably the next phase of this. If you stay at these levels for very long or higher in corn is it's going to start dragging cattle and even feeders along with it to keep those margins. Right. I mean, and, and I mean, I'm not even being sarcastic here. Like, if it doesn't and corn stays there, like you're going to break everyone, right? I mean, there's, it has to adjust somehow. And the feeder fat spread has done some of the work. And if corn stays up here, I, I think it's, it just has to drag live cattle along with it. Um, and then you have this whole inflationary type backdrop that we haven't talked about. That's still ongoing. <clears throat> if the funds want to put any money to, to work and things start turning the corner in cattle, uh, they have essentially no position in live cattle right now. You know, they got out of their longs. They have a big long position in all the grains and hogs. Um, but if they wanted to put some money at work, you know, cattle is, you know, of the raw material world right now, live cattle is probably a bargain or a value. So if you see some fun money start flowing back in at the same time, weight stop, start dropping and, and cash kind of catches fire a little bit. You could see some some good things in, in cattle here, but again, you know, you gotta you gotta watch these margins and it uh, the, the cattle producer right now needs needs a little bit of uh, of, of some good things happening, and I, I think you're possibly starting to turn that corner here with the action we've seen the last couple of days. Hopefully, we can follow through, see some good gains today on Friday, and, and have a nice weekly close well off the lows in live cattle, and maybe that gets some some interest you know, from some speculative money flowing in on the long side in cattle, and that would go a long way towards helping us out, I think. Right on. Well, yeah, that's uh, definitely something. There's just so many things going on right now, Chip, plenty of stuff to pay attention to. 
whatever plan you're working with, you probably need to go back and revi uh, revise it. And if people are doing that, what's the best way to get a hold of you to get that guidance and that help on, on uh, making that plan better for them? Yeah, best way is just give us a call uh, at the office, 309-550-7213. Love to talk to you. Uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a wild ride this summer, whether it's grains or livestock. There's going to be um, likely more volatility than we've seen in history. And, you know, it's great in the grains right now and hogs because it's straight up, but it won't stay like that. Volatility, I'm talking like, you know, $10 swings in three days and hogs and cattle and, you know, 80 cent swings up and down in, in corn, dollar plus in beans. So, it, it's really going to take some diligence, and it's going to be a rough ride this summer. Yes, it will be. All right, Chip. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, man, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week, especially when this report comes out to pick your brain about what's going on there. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon, Casey. I appreciate it. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as well. There's any blogs that I have coming out. Uh, I got one that I'm going to post this weekend kind of talking about, you know, the, the ecosystems of, of the ag equipment business and what that looks like and how those things all, all those moving parts work together here. So uh, look for that. Also go to movingironllc.com. You're going to find the entire library of the Moving Iron podcast there as well as all the blogs I've ever written. They'll all be posted there as well. And all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 15th through the 17th. If you're interested in coming to that, um, go up to the navigation bar, click the Moving Iron Summit. All the information will be there, um, agendas, speaker information, um, room information, how to register for the meeting, all those kind of things will all be there for you to take a look at. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, Head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me.